You're listening to the Best Bits Podcast. Fuck off. Talk to you, stupid cunt. So and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Listen to me. The best fucking podcast in the universe. What's better than this? Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Shut up, bitch. Nothing at all. Shut up, bitch. 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 Pop back to remind everybody that we're not dead. We're always, we're not dead. If you miss us that much, we're on the, we're over there doing mini bits the whole time. Aren't we? I still think that that name was, was not the right name for that podcast because those episodes are not mini. They should have been called something else like the most important bits or something. <laughs> the, the shitty bits. The unmissable bits. <laughs> not the shitty bits. That's going to make people happy that they're skipping it. <laughs> They're not. They're really good bits. They're the behind the curtain bits. I listened to the start of the last episode just to remind myself of what the theme was that I used. And I was like, oh my God, that's mm-hmm. like magnificent. There's no other podcast out there that's putting in the effort that we are. And thankfully, it's all paying off. The best fucking podcast in Ireland. Rolling in the money. Rolling in the money. Kevin, what are we going to do today? We're going to do our best of the year so far list, even though it's August now. That's over half the year. But the back half of the year is usually when so many films, so many like films that would make your top 10 list get released. So we're going to mm-hmm. do a recap of what our favorite film and TV was of the first half of the year. And because you haven't seen enough films, we're going to mix TV in with it. That's the reason. This first half of the year has been incredibly busy uh, with adding another child to the household. However, on saying that, this I get the most of my films watched in the second half of the year around Christmas time. So I get probably all the main things watched by the end of the year because of all your screeners. Because of the, the yeah the screen my screener life and the voting and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so we're going to count down our ten favorites, and it's going right. to be a mix of film and TV because you've only seen seven films so far this year. And I double check. I've seen nine films. That's what I've seen. Oh, we could have done it yeah. then. You'd be including all the crap films on there as well. But I'm glad I'm getting an opportunity to talk about my favourite TV. That's what I was, I'm glad. Yeah, I think this mixes up a bit because I'm sort of no, not sure what's going to make your list, but also where mm-hmm. is it going to land on your list? There's some I think I can guess, but um, let's get into it. Give me your number 10, Will. My number 10 is a film and it came out a few months ago and it is... Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. The Guardians of the Galaxy have no place in my world. Kiss your mom with that face. Okay. My number 10 is... (laughs) What can I say about Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3? It's at number 10 because I've only seen like nine films. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of Volume 3. Oh, you've already made a mockery of the top 10 list. You're including it just because you've seen it. <laughs> but okay, I will give it this. A lot of people loved the film, right? I thought in one way it was uh, in one way it was nice to close off that 
trilogy of films that that kind of end of the Marvel universe. But for me, it also is kind of sad and bittersweet because it feels like the fun times I've had with Marvel in the past have come to an end. So you were celebrating it, yeah. celebrating the end of Marvel. It was kind of... <laughs> um, but listen, it was big. It was ambitious. There were some very, very funny moments in it. It also was a little bit too dark and creepy and weird at times um, for my taste. And my uh, eight-year-old son, Kevin, what's your number 10? My number 10 is Blackberry. Oh, it's on my list. Okay. So I thought it would we be. We hold off on discussing it. Yeah. We hold off on discussing it. <laughs> Back to you, Will. What's your number nine? So my number nine is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> this has got to be your 10 <laughs> best of the nine year. Films. We reviewed Dial of Destiny over on our Patreon feed. It's the last time we're going to see Indiana Jones on the big screen. And he's a sad old fucking grumpy man. I hated it. I thought I thought it was I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. There there were flickers of the old charm, which all came through Harrison Ford and his incredible performance of Indiana Jones. They I liked the kind of the, the final stretch. I actually have grown to like the final act more and more. Uh just that kind of like what final act? the final bit that happens at the end where you know from when he actually goes exploring with um goes into the cave and I like that him puzzle solving in the cave and stuff like that um, that's and, like about 90 seconds of the film so that's my number 9 Kevin what was your number 9 my number 9 was the flash what's happening you changed the future and you changed the past Want some help? You're, you are, you're... Yeah. I'm Batman. (gasps) Oh, I have that ready to watch for my flight next week. Tell me about The Flash. I already did tell you, I think, (laughs) on one of the other episodes. Well, tell me, tell our Um, listeners. They've already heard that episode. Unless it was, it was on the mini bits, so people mightn't have. There we go. Uh, Cliff Notes version again. I thought it was way better than it deserved to be, or that its reputation. Well, no, because people hyped it up as being like the best superhero movie ever, ever made, and I think that sort of created a backlash against it. And I found the film really amiable and a, a genuine good time. It felt like an eighties film in the vein of Superman three. It had like Bill and Ted vibes. It had Back to the Future vibes. It had terrible CG, but I didn't mind that. And I thought it was um, it was a con- continually inventive and enjoyable film, and I don't understand why people reacted so negatively towards it. But I think that might be just the state of where we are with superhero movies. So I think it's gotten an unfair kicking. But um, mm. for me, it is the second best DC movie okay. after the mm-hmm. first Wonder Woman. Wow. I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. So yeah, so I put it on the list because I think it deserves to be there. Whether it's going to make my end of the year list, I don't know. But number nine for me was The Flash. Number eight for me, first of several product movies, Air. Here we go. Every once in a while, someone comes along that's so extraordinary that it forces change because they are so very special. A shoe is just a shoe. 
until my son steps into it. It's it's not a perfect film. It's not a film that I said, oh, this is, this is the best product movie out there this year. But I found it to be interesting enough. I didn't know of the story of um, how the signing of Michael Jordan was such a big deal to the sportswear industry and the gamble that the guy took in Nike to actually uh, go about and get him signed. It being such a kind of a, a gamble. Um, it was movie worthy. The only thing that we said about it, and we both agreed on this, I believe, and we discussed it at the time, was it felt like one of those films which was looking over its shoulders at the lawyers Definitely. of yeah. those mm, of those who were living because it did not want to paint anyone in a poor light. No, everybody was dealt with with kid gloves, and therefore it just didn't feel very dramatic to me. So there was no sort of energy behind it. It was refreshing to see a film that was for grown-ups. But for mm. me, it felt like it was another one of those Wikipedia movies where it, it felt very factual and very inert. So I didn't feel like I got to know Matt Damon's character at all. It was all just about mm-hmm. um, the impetus in the scenes and some of the, the sort of the, the way that they spoke about Michael Jordan, the sort of hagiography hey, of him. Granted, he's an incredible, you know, sportsman. But... um. His documentary, I felt, was more revealing about what kind of a man he was. The Last Dance, that's what the you're last referring dance. to. The Last Dance, yeah. And that I, was excellent. I had that colouring my opinion as I watched it. So I just thought that Air was a bit sort of like um, a missed opportunity. It was good, it was fine, but Blackberry was a much better version of that kind of film. I agree, I agree. We'll get, get to there. So Kevin, what is your number eight? My number eight is Barbie. What can I do? That's on my list too, Kevin. Of course it is. It's one of your nine films you've seen this year. (laughs) Of course, it has to be. Which bumps it back to me. This is so unfortunate because it bumps it back to me. We'll have this episode done in 20 minutes. It's great. We'll have have it knocked out in 20 minutes. My number seven is a film that I had a blast in the cinema watching. Oppenheimer. Four or five other kids. And it is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. That's on my list. Oh, okay. I'm holding off. So Hitting the I'm buzzer going to... so you can't talk about it. <laughs> okay. So that I'm passing the bat on back to you and I want to hear your number seven. My number seven was also a blast in the cinemas and it was Oppenheimer. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Detonator's charged. With such a weapon. But I know the Nazis can't. Three, two, one. Mm. Up and higher. I thought it would be higher on my list, but the more that I thought about it, the less I felt jazzed to talk about it. Because it's a very heavy film. We reviewed it over on our Patreon feed. Ding, 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 ding. Ringing the dinner bell there again. Yeah. It's a very heavy film. It moves at such a fierce clip that 80% of it is montage. And it's quite overbearing at times because Hans Zimmer does not shut up once. His score is just relentless. I would say that of a three-hour film, two hours, 40 minutes has Hans Zimmer at full Hans Zimmer. So the only time it gets quiet is when the bomb actually goes off. Wow. People have described it as being another non-linear film. And it is that because it cuts between two different timelines, you know, post the Manhattan Project, when Congress was doing sort of a, um, 
hearings on whether Oppenheimer should be excommunicated, essentially, for being a suspected communist. It's much more coherent than his other films like Tenet and even Dunkirk for me. So it's a grown-up film. I enjoyed watching it. I did the Barbenheimer thing and I really, you know, was, didn't regret going to see it. But um, I need to see it again in order to to know where I really feel about it. So maybe by the end of the year, I'll know where to properly put it. But it's my number seven. Can I ask, can I ask you a question? Uh, I know, as you're saying, you're kind of in flux and you're not really sure fully where it, where it would, I suppose, sit in your rankings. No, no do you know what it is? It's a great tenet. film. But okay. when I'm ranking things in terms of entertainment value, that mm. wasn't the film where I was like, God, that was a great crack. It was more okay. like that was stupendous filmmaking and it's right. a return to form for Nolan. People found the final image incredibly haunting, you know, where okay. it leaves the story, which is essentially like that we have created our own destruction and it's going to happen. We're going to kill ourselves. That's sort of what Nolan leaves us feeling. And he makes a good argument for that based on the myopic tendencies of humanity and of, of people. Uh, like the, what I found really fascinating about it is that half the story is focused on Robert Downey Jr.'s character and he's going to get Oscar nominated for this. But he's a character right. who is so driven by paranoia. And the funny thing is all the commun- the suspected communist characters are the ones who are more socially conscious and more thinking about the bigger picture and thinking about the ramifications of this and should we do it, should we not do it? And it's the mm-hmm. American military and the American government that are so bloodthirsty and... um it makes the case that paranoia is going to kill us. And there's a funny thing that takes place in the story with Robert Downey Jr.'s character, which I won't spoil for you, but uh, it sort of draws the comparison between the arms race that was going on and Robert Downey Jr.'s sort of drive to... Right, Although okay. maybe that's a spoiler. I shouldn't say that. Well, I've just erased it from my, my memory. It's just gone... I've just erased that. It's a film that is... A film... That's why I needed a seat in the cinema. I got to get out. I have to see it in the cinema. If you were to rank, if right now I put you on a spot and I said, where in your Nolan rankings does this rank? Where would you put it? Oh, Jesus. That's a tough one. Um, it's in the t- it sounds like it's in the top half anyway. Yeah, it's better than Tenet. It's better. I don't know, Will, to be honest. I think it's better than Duck Dunkirk, but I enjoy Dunkirk more. Oh, okay. Right. I, because Dunkirk made me made me feel th- this film makes me feel dread and despair. Oppenheimer. Okay, so not a good time. It's not a happy story. Yeah, not a fun time. But that's the thing. It's not that it's you can judge it on whether it's fun or not. Yeah, I know. It's whether it's great or not, and it's a great film. I cannot wait to see it in the cinema. I hope we get the chance very very soon to see it in the cinema. It sounds like good cinema. That's all I say. Good cinema. Cinema for real. <laughs> Shall I give you my number six? Why are you asking? That's what we're doing. So I have been given your consent. Now, Kevin, I will give you my six. (laughs) Yes. My six is a film you've already mentioned. And I watched it with seven, seven seven-year-olds and a five-month-old baby. And I had a blast despite all of the interruptions, despite all of the pee breaks and everything like that. It was Barbie. What can I do you for? I just had to come see you about my feet. Flat. What do I have to do? You have to go to the real world. I'm coming with you. Closer I am. 
played with Barbie since we were like five years old. Oh, I'm not good enough for anything. <laughs> I think you're just right. I just learned to cry. First, I got one tear, and then I got a whole bunch. Barbie, July 21st, rated PG-13. And we reviewed that again on our Patreon feed because we reviewed yeah. our Barbenheimer experience. But what's your brief summation of it and why you've put it at number six? Cliff notes. So it's the lower half of the your top 10. Yeah, it's the lower half, but I had a blast. I saw Just it, it beating out Indiana fun. Jones. Just beating out. Um, I don't know how it managed. <laughs> Guardians to of the do Galaxy. That. Oh, I'm going to. So it's on that level. It's the same level as those films. <laughs> it's a film that managed to entertain me despite the actual circumstances I was watching the film under. I laughed like a drain throughout that film while also juggling a baby, while also juggling kids beside me. And, you know... Why didn't you just put the baby on your lap? Why did you juggle it? Well, surprisingly, our child falls asleep only in midair, in like, you know, in free fall. So we have to have her in constant free fall. I'm having images of Freddy got fingered. Wake up your baby! Well, I want to say this. I just thought it was a fucking delight. It was clever. It was smart. It was incredibly funny. On the on the con side, it might have been a bit too long. I genuinely thought that a couple of the musical numbers, if the musical numbers were a bit better, we would be talking about this film as an all-time, you know, comedy musical classic. And that might be a bit of a drawback. On saying that, it's a film that is dealing with a lot of messy and big baggage between Barbie as a an, a feminist icon or an anti-feminist icon. I loved it as a fish out of water comedy. I thought Ryan fucking Gosling was amazing. Uh, but most importantly, I think one of the big pros to this film is I thought it had some strong messages for girls going out into the big bad world and about dealing with men in all different kind of in guises, whether it is in the work realm or whether it's in personal relationships and stuff like that. I actually thought it had a very, several very positive me- messages for young girls and young lads as well. So I give it a big thumbs up. That's why it's number six on my list. Yeah, it was number eight for me. I wish that when she went into the real world that it was more of the real world and less of this cartoon version of the real world. I didn't like the Mattel side of it. I thought that that clashed with the the fish out of water aspect. I really didn't like the Will Ferrell stuff. I thought it added nothing to the plot and it was a, such an overlong film that I would have lobbied to, to cut all that out of it because it added nothing to the, even the climax. I loved all the stuff with Ryan Gosling discovering the patriarchy and bringing that back and yeah. that becoming the, the big dilemma that she had to deal with. That was all great. Um, but I wish they spent more time in the real world and and did more of that clash of cultures comedy because it felt like it was Barbie with this idealized version of reality based on a girl's impression of the world, a little girl's impression and all the dialogue of them like playing with each other. So Barbie then had to grow up very fast Mm -hmm. and I would have liked to have seen her in the real world deal with that a bit more. So my favorite moments, aside from all the great comedy in the Barbie land was when she was like on Venice boardwalk and she was getting ogled by people. And, uh, and I liked that she had to go and find her owner Mm. The person that had imbued her with this existential crisis. Uh, I liked all that. I thought that the messaging, the whole America Ferrer speech was a bit 
obvious and low hanging fruit. And I've heard that argument a few times now over the last few years. So to have it rehashed again felt like, I, I don't know, the film was so clever that I expected another spin on that. But I think, but, um, and I also didn't like the musical numbers at all. The first one I liked, but the, the rest I thought it dragged on. So I thought it was a very clever film, very funny, very charming, but um, it's not a perfect film. And some of it really bogs it down. So, but I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It was good. It was, you know what it made me harken back it's to? Very good. Very good. Yeah. Do you know what it made me harken and back Gosling to? Gosling and Robbie were fantastic in it. They were brilliant. You know what it made me harken back to? Was those, it felt like a really good 90s film. That's what it felt like. Last action hero. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of something like the Brady Bunch or Wayne's World. And back in back in the nineties, these things would have come out and there would have been so films. many other not sp- but prestigious films around it. And everyone would have said talked fondly of it. Whereas Barbie, I think, is getting a huge amount of acclaim because there hasn't been something like it in cinemas for quite a while. Because there are two moments where I think Greta Gerwig's m- m- reason for making the film elevated beyond just being uh, a lark, like an SNL type skit, mm. you know, like a Wayne's World type movie where it just feels like it's, it's driven by the concept of what if Barbie was real and she came into the real world. And it's just that I think that she piggybacks off that to do two things, which I, I think are really um, thoughtful and elevate the whole movie. And one is when she, Barbie meets an elderly woman on a, mm-hmm. a park bench and she's just struck by how beautiful she is. And I think that that feels like that wouldn't be in a lot of other movies, but it's in there and it really lands, you know. That was my favorite moment in the film, or with that old lady. And like, it doesn't add anything to the plot. And I adore that, that it didn't, that that little old lady didn't, didn't come back in the final act and defeat Mattel Corporation. Um, maybe I would have liked the, the Mattel stuff if it was more grounded, if it didn't feel like an Austin Powers Okay, you know, you. section that I just thought, well, what's the point of this? You're letting Mattel off the hook here. Not necessary. And the other thing that elevates it is the final moment where Barbie, she has a heart to heart with her creator. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was very thoughtful and it took it to another level. And then they pull back from that and they have that nice little coda. That's very funny. So those two things, I think, bring it into the realm of maybe this could get a Best Picture nomination. Maybe. Maybe. If, well, listen, there's 10. Didn't they nominate that one of those Wakanda movies? So they'll... Black Panther, the first Black Panther one. Was it that one or was it the other one? I can't remember. So they've, the they've got one. form for like, you know, recognizing films that feel like they have... um that they tap into the culture. And I don't yeah. think when you're celebrating the, the films of the year that they can ignore the Barbie movie because it's going to make a billion dollars. It's probably going to be the biggest, it's probably going to be the biggest hit of the year. I'm, that's my guess so far. I don't think there's anything that's going to come along and dethrone it. So yeah, we both enjoyed that film. That was my number six. Going back to you, Kevin, what's your number six? My number six is my first TV choice Ooh, on the list. Okay. And it's the bear season two. So how's your life been, Brazado? Opening a restaurant. Gotta go hard every day. Gotta control the zone. I still, I, I love the name. You don't remember the name. Of course I remember the name. We didn't even tell anybody you the name. You 100% told me the name. How could you remember the name? Your shirt says original birth. 
Yeah, it's a printing mistake. Collector's item. Okay. I haven't seen it yet. So the bear season one felt like an assault on the senses and it got very overbearing at times and it could get quite grating. It was very stylish and it felt high intensity, stress, stress, stress. Season two focuses more on the characters and it splits off the cast into individual stories. Okay. And it fills in a lot of backstory for Carmi. And there are four episodes in season two, which I think are some of the best television I've ever seen. Oh, wow. And one of them involves the black cook, the big, you know, the tall black guy. Yeah. Who he, I think he goes to Amsterdam and he learns that, you know, they're, they're, they're going to open a new restaurant with Oliver Platt's money. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to do that, a lot of them have to level up their skills. They've got to sort of get to the next level. They can't just be making sandwiches in this kind of diner-esque type place. They, they want to do um, a high quality restaurant. So he goes off to Amsterdam. He's learning from Will Poulter. And they they have they focus a lot on him and what he's leaving behind and why he's doing this and what it means to him and why he wants to better himself. And it is incredibly tender and moving. And there is a scene between him and Will Poulter, which it choked me up because you don't see guys talking to each other like that on screen. It's a very casual way of like validating each other in a way that Mm -hmm. I felt was just so beautiful and very underplayed. Just casually, like, where'd you come from? Why do you do this? What does it mean for you? And it's, to me, it just taps into creativity and why we want to create and and what that means for us, well, me particularly. So I found that very moving. There's another episode, which is, the standout episode, I think, of the season, which is the Christmas episode, which is replete with guest stars. It's got like Bob Odenkirk, Jamie Lee Curtis, Sarah Paulson, uh, Gillian Jacobs, John Bernthal. It's a bottle episode, so it's all taking place five years before. So John Bernthal, as we know, has died in the show. He committed suicide before season one. And you're seeing that family and the dysfunction of that family, and it really, you know, hit home for me. And a lot of it rang so true. But there's a moment, there's a couple of moments, there's a moment between Jamie Lee Curtis and Sarah Paulson, which is just, it's like your nerves are shredded. And there's another moment between John Bernthal and Bob Odenkirk, where you feel mm. like Bob Odenkirk delivers a death blow to John Bernthal. And uh, right. it, 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 you know where you feel like somebody has just, somebody has penetrated somebody's shell and they've gotten so yeah. deep into who they are that if they twist a knife, they're going to kill them. Mm-hmm. And they, he chooses to twist the knife and you, you just see somebody die on screen without them dying. And it's sort of like a soul death. So that was incredible. But then there's another episode that comes straight after it, episode seven, which is on the cousin. And you see him start from the very bottom to sort of learn how to be out in front and to deal with customers. This is a guy that's always screaming and he's always being an asshole and he's going to be mm-hmm. the, the front, the face of the, of the restaurant. And it felt like a coming of age movie, this sort of like great 80s sports film. And uh, I loved it. And the finale of the season was incredible. So for me, that show in season two is just operating on a whole other level. And for those four episodes, I put it on my list. That's a good choice because I have only watched season one and I loved season one. And I loved that uh, the character, um, the girl with the dreads, I thought she was, she was my favorite character, the whole bunch. I love this. You're talking about cutting comments coming at the worst possible moment and they can do the greatest amount of damage. I don't know if I discussed this with you before, but I've listened to Steve Martin's new kind of semi-auto 
autobiography podcast book he's done on Audible. And he says, I don't know this. Oh, I didn't mention to you. It's quite good. It's on Audible anyway. And he's, it's basically a series of year long conversations he's had with an old friend talking about his life and his career and stuff like that. And in it, he talks about his career in the 90s where it was kind of going to a bit of doldrums. And he the says, The of the Bride era. Yeah, that era where it was like he was coming out with films where he just wasn't really doing comedies that much. And he mentions in his, this official autobiography thing, he said, I was on a red carpet one time in London and he said, I was feeling low. I was feeling low about my career and my choices and everything I was doing. And this comedy reporter who I fucking knew was Dennis Pennis said, pulled me over and he said, hey, Steve, hey, Steve, how about a comment? When are you going to be funny again? Exactly. Imagine 30 or 30 years later, he said back then, he said that was a comment that devastated him. It devastated him for ages. That one, it was just like the little feather that like, you know, falls on top of the big pile of shit that makes it tip over on top of you. And that one comment from Dennis Pennis really, not that it wasn't, it didn't do the damage, but like, it's amazing how one comment at the wrong time can really have devastating consequences. Steve, can I just ask you a question quickly? Which really is just a question that you, you, you must have been asked. Well, oh, I know, the, the BBC. How come, they're, they're please, like, one uh, question. They're not commercial. How come, What's the question? The question is, how come, question. how come you're not funny anymore? No matter who you are, no matter where you are, you remember every kind thing that anyone ever said to you that took you by surprise. It can be something like, I love your shirt. And you remember it. It just immediately yeah. goes into the data banks and you'll always have that memory. And the other one is, you didn't get your hair cut like that, did you? Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to stick with you forever. It's never going to go away and you can brush it off. It's like, oh, I don't care about that stuff. But I'm talking about the comments where they got your number and yeah. they know everything. They know all your insecurities. Or feels like they, just, they know it. It feels like they do. Yeah, or even they do, or even they're weaponizing what they know about you. Mm. and they drill down deeper and deeper and deeper and other people can see it and it's like stop leave it stop and they keep going and going and going that's what happens in the bear where it's like oh my god don't this is so vicious great show great show gas crack season one was fantastic season one was fantastic I think that comes back to me doesn't it for my number five if, if I'm right I wonder if Demi Moore still remembers Dennis Pennis saying to her on a red carpet ask you a question BBC under any, under any circumstances, if it wasn't gratuitous and it was tastefully done, would you consider keeping it clothes on in a movie? <laughs> oh my God. He was like, he was so fucking cruel. He really was. My number five, Kevin, is something you've already mentioned and it is Blackberry. Yeah, what can I do for you? Okay, picture a cell phone and an email machine all in one thing. There is a free wireless internet signal all across North America and nobody has figured out how to use it. It's like the force. The other film that's about the genesis of a big, huge product. Um, Blackberry is about the story of Blackberry. Uh, the fruit? About basic, not the flute, the actual proto smart device. Those big phones with the keyboards on them. And it's about you basically... You just said flute. Did I? <laughs> It was actually with a fellow playing a flute there at the weekend of the function I was at. It was very good. The what inventor of the Blackberry. The, <laughs> there wasn't a hobo. It was like, 
It's like, it was from Clear, so he may as well be a hobo. It's I basically said hobo, not hobo. <laughs> you think that I was saying that he was blowing him, just, blowing I his flute? I said it was a hobo, yeah. <laughs> but, I got something you so, can blow. So Blackberry, I thought was actually a fantastic film. It was the story of the genesis of Blackberry about the inventor and engineer, uh, Mike Lazardus, I think it was. Um, how he had this incredible device that was going to that you know reimagined how data was f- used and received by mobile phones. Um, how on his own he would never get the thing made, but he joins forces with a cutthroat businessman, um, Jim Balzi. I think that's it. But he's played by Glenn Howerton from um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and he is fantastic. And he might get. A nomination as the years roll on. Oh, that'd be good. I'd love to see him get nominated. I think he might. I really do think he will. I don't think he'd continue to do the podcast if he ended up getting a, a nomination. <laughs> I guarantee you he will. I did. <laughs> so I think he will. Did you see the episode of the podcast where Rob and Charlie Raz then uh Glenn about his health regimens and about how much he no focuses on what you should and shouldn't be eating and how fixated he gets on that. And you can see the dentist come out in Glen Howerton where he's like, I don't, I don't force my opinion on anybody else. And he's getting really het up. And uh, it's interesting to see the two of them just continue to push his buttons and for (gasps) him to really get very testy about it. I don't watch watch it. I listened to it. I actually did listen to that. I could hear you it. You gotta watch it though. To you gotta what you gotta really? he's got a face like thunder. And oh. he's just like glaring at the two of them. And then they pick it up on the next episode to sort of walk oh. it back. So they brought in a producer because the other girl who, who does the show, she wasn't there. So I think yeah. the three guys ended up like turning on each other. So they brought in a stand-in producer to um grease the wheels a little bit and no to keep them on way. track. And they still slip back into it. That but, was uh, funny because I was listening to that and I remember thinking this sounds like it's getting a little bit, it, people are, buttons are being pushed right here and he was getting defensive and I was imagining, I, I was imagining, I said, oh, this seems like so, some of the sort of arguments they would have had throughout the decades of collaborating with each other. It was good. Yeah, but you have to have those arguments and you got to get past them. Mm-hmm. We've had some of those and no, we've we cut them out of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we've never argued, Kevin. Prick you. How would we ever argue? Really Ignorant as really fuck. In this thing called a podcast marriage. Mike and Jim needed a therapist in their relationship because Mike was this inventor and Jim was this cutthroat businessman. Uh, together, they were a perfect marriage for a spell. And they went on to create the BlackBerry, which absolutely dominated the marketplace for several years. The film itself is what Air should have been. And it is almost like watching a thriller, a a compelling thriller where the characters portrayed on screen are incredibly interesting, incredibly flawed. Glenn Howerton as Jim is so ruthless. He's presented. When we first meet him, it's he's... Every scene with Jim in it is iconic, actually, because it's taking the character he plays in Always Sunny. What's his call? What's his character called in Always Sunny again? I can't remember it. It's um, something anyway. But taking those... I could tell you, but I'm choosing not to. Oh, I can't, you just told me a minute ago. You said it a minute ago. I can't remember. But anyway, the Dennis. point being is that Dennis, there we go. So he's taking kind Keep of the Dennisisms. Mind, Will, 
that we did a whole episode on this episode on this movie as well, just like two in, episodes back on the main feed. in the mini bits on the main feed. No, on the main feed. I'm just yeah. well, I'm just reiterating that I thought this was a great film, and it doesn't matter because uh, I am glad, and it's on my list that I I need to sing its praises once more. The shark was being a shark. What? The shark was being oh, a shark. That is the best way to describe Glenn Horton's character. It's as if he's a fucking shark. And I don't know if you listen to the Always Sunny podcast, but I remember. Yeah. The shark was being a shark. Is that what we said? This is, it's gotten to the point where I have in-jokes on the podcast with just myself. Yeah. Because I can't have them with you. Because you don't remember, you can't even remember the start of this episode. No. Prick, yes. <laughs> I think that's great. I think I think I'm a great surrogate for the audience because you assume you assume that the entire audience knows everything. They know all the jokes. And the reality is the audience is kind of half listened to us while they're in the shower or they're on the treadmill and stuff like that, and they might miss all the stuff. Absolute bastards. So I repeat it. I come in. I come in. I'm the the kind of the the happy stupid one, right? So I come in. What? I'm the happy stupid one. I'm doing that for the audience. <laughs> I'm saying Blackberry was fantastic. Uh, watch it. It's a gripper. And I think it might be on, I have a feeling, it, is it on a streamer? It might be on a streamer. I don't know if it's on a streamer yet. But I don't know. That's, you had it on your list. Where was it on your list? 10. Oh, okay. Right. Very good. Yeah. My number five is Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. Hey. Once the dead man is revived, we can ask him five questions, at which point he will die again, mm-hmm. never to be re-revived. Were you killed in the Battle of the Everhorse? Yes. Four more questions, right? Yes. No, 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 that, w- that wasn't for you. Did that count as a question? Yes. Damn it. Only answer when I talk to you, okay? Yes. Why did you say okay at the end of that? I didn't. Fantastic. Where's the shovel? We spoke about this on a Patreon episode, so I'll, I'll mm-hmm. go in a little bit deeper on it here. This caught me off guard. It was very witty. It had a, a great cast. They had such wonderful energy. Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Hugh Grant, Justice mm-hmm. Smith. Very, very funny set pieces uh, for Chris Pine's character. He was trying to save his dead wife for his daughter, but his daughter had felt like Chris Pine's best friend, Michelle Rodriguez, had almost become her mother. And she didn't mm-hmm. want to lose Michelle Rodriguez to bring back the mother that she'd never met. So she wanted Michelle Rodriguez to come back. So Chris Pine had to sacrifice his love for his wife for the love of his daughter. And that surprised me. The CG, um, there was a lot more prosthetics. There was a lot more sort of actual shooting on location, which I loved. I love that stuff. And uh, just a very funny film. And there's a scene in it, which was probably one of my f- probably going to end up being one of my favorite scenes of uh, the whole year. And it was when Chris Pine casts a spell of distraction to distract some guards so they can get into this tournament. And mm-hmm. it's himself playing this, uh, I, I don't know, is it a lute, whatever that little guitar type thing is. Oh, and it right, starts yeah. to go wrong and his face starts to melt in front of the guards. I just was choked laughing. It was so, so stupid. A, a real nice surprise for the year. I'm very, very entertaining. So Dungeons & Dragons. It's my number five. I I probably said it already. I'm not really sure. But yeah, I saw this with a bunch of kids and I had a laugh with this. I just had so much fun. And one of my favorite scenes in it was the time where they have to 
extract information from a corpse, but they're at the corpse yes. is a corpse of someone who was who was who had died in battle. So so they have to resurrect the corpse. But the problem is they have to figure out which one is the corpse they need in this entire graveyard of all these deceased soldiers. And it's so funny. It's so so funny. Um, that army of darkness vibes that. But yeah, yeah. very entertaining. And uh, it was written, co-written with other writers by um, the two, uh, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. The Game Night guys. Uh, Game Night guys. And I enjoy Game Night as well. Um, So that goes back to me. And my number four is TV. So I'm finally going into TV. My number four is the season of Succession. I thought the season. that's on my list. Okay, we'll hold off so. So what is your number four? My number four is also TV. Oh, And it okay. is Jury Judy. Oh, did that come out this year? Yes. Ah, oh, shit. Only, I would have put it on ago. my list. I thought it was oh 2000. I thought it was last year. I thought it was last year. No. It was only in the spring that came out. Okay, so I'm knocking whatever. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 off my list to put in Jury Judy, yes. right? So Jury Judy is on my list too. <clears throat> Tell me about Jury Judy. When I say jury of your peers, I think that's accurate. I mean, how long does this normally take? Have you done this before? You're number 54. Me? Ready, guys? Here we go. This is the most unorthodox trial that I've presided over. This is literally feels like reality TV. Oh. Jury Judy is like the Truman Show, but on a jury. You could almost mistake it for being a prank show, but it's not. It's a lot more heartfelt than that. It involves a guy called Ronald who doesn't know that he's the only real person in a civil court case. And everybody else, the prosecutors, the defense, the witnesses, the other jurors, the judge, the security guards, everybody is an actor. And everything is is being scripted by a galley and uh, they put him in more and more outlandish scenarios. James Marsden is in there as like himself, and it's just hilariously funny. But it's not just that it's very, very funny and that Ronald is the man of the year. Put him on Time magazine. He's like, he restored my faith in humanity. He's such Mm. a genuinely good dude. But it's the final two episodes that sort of put it over the edge for me where it became a great show. And that was when you realised that the whole court case has been about putting Ronald on trial and he Mm -hmm. succeeded. And uh, when they reveal what's been going on to him and then they show him how it all came together, I thought that that was a fantastic way to to sort of neutralise any sense that this was a trick that was played on him. Mm -hmm. Because he ended up becoming friends with these people and they weren't who they were pretending to be. So he's been catfished, kind of. But it was uh, such a surprise. Very, very funny, but also very touching. I'm right there with you. I thought it was a wonderful show. You were urging me to watch it. And, you know, I we jumped on board. Like, I just, I, I, I don't know what I can add to what you've already said. I adored Ronald, but I also adored the, sur- the, the surrounding cast of characters. There was these moments of serendipity, like in the first episode where they were trying to figure out how to not be selected for jury duty. 
And Ronald himself says, oh, we could do what they did in Family Guy, I think. And he said, uh, said oh, I'm right. He said, Pretend to be well, a racist. So you could say you're a racist. And one of the, the following day, one of them goes out and said, does that? He says, oh, I'm a racist. And the judge pulls him up and, say, and pulls him up and he said, who told you to say that? And Ronald is like looking at his shoes going, oh my God. Yeah, so, he just went uh, puce. It was like, don't, please don't say my name, please. But uh, very, very how, funny. How he stood up for the odd characters that were in front of him was a real testament to his um his good nature and it was such mm-hmm. a pleasure to be uh, to witness him navigate these obstacles that were thrown on his path and go ah oh, he's a sound lad he's such a sound lad uh, oh there's so many funny moments when james I marson he, does a big jump in his in his bathroom and he climbs that was the disgusting time. i didn't like that but, but the other stuff with james marson where but, he where he he'd been given a great script and um, he'd been offered a part in the script script and he wanted everybody to know how great the script was and what his yeah. character was like. And he was just constantly showboating. <laughs> if you haven't seen this, please go out of your way. Find Jury Duty. It is excellent. Absolutely wonderful. So my number three, which I assume you haven't mentioned yet, is also going to be on your list. But my number three is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah, that's uh, on my list. Okay, so I'm going to throw it back to you. What's your number three? My number three is Succession Season 4. I know that we've said the worst things, but I just wanted to get a few things straight. Dad said that it would be me. If we want to hold on to this company, for us, we have to go into battle with our own version of the future with the king. cut shit close to the bone. We're gonna get right fucking in there. It's gonna get nasty. Okay, buckle up. Oh, that was on my list as number four. Okay, great. It was. What have you got to say about Succession Season 4? It was a great way to close out one of the best shows of the last 10 years. It wobbled for me with a few episodes, but there were enough standout episodes that made me put it at such a high placement. The funeral, the death of um, Logan Roy, the finale was incredible. Those three alone were just like fantastic. But also this was appointment television for me and there's not many shows that are like that. Hopefully when Severance comes back, it'll be like that. But... um. This is one where I had to see Succession as soon as it came out. You know, with a lot of TV these days, you can sort of just watch it at your own pace. But Succession feels like if you don't watch it immediately, you're going to get spoiled on it. And to get spoiled on a show like this is criminal. So I thought it was a fantastic final season for a fantastic show. Mm-hmm. I thought they really stuck the landing. That final episode for me was perfect. I wouldn't change a thing about it. It was like watching contemporary Shakespearean drama and a tragic one at that and seeing how my favorite characters the disgusting brothers Tom and oh Greg how um how they moved and uh, and navigated the uh, the the family uh, to ultimately to where they ended up was poetic and how the family ended up as a whole and the business ended up was uh, incredibly poetic as well not in and the just, beautiful I felt, way. 
and just, yeah. So I thought it didn't put a foot wrong for me. I thought uh, getting rid of Logan was a good choice when they did do it. And um, yeah, a brilliant show. A brilliant show. I'm so glad they didn't go on another season because this was the moment to end it. This was the right point to end the story. Definitely. Definitely. That was my number four. That final argument between the three of them in the boardroom while everyone else is looking on. Mm. I was impressed by how they managed to make this argument feel more, like we were just talking about earlier, about those moments where you stick the knife in and you twist it. And there was a moment that happened in that argument where I thought, wow, they've gone to a place where there's no coming back from that. That's where you form a rift with family members that lasts for 20, 30 years till one of you dies. I thought it was one of those sort of like cutthroat arguments, but a great show. Yeah. What's Mm. your number three? Two. So, oh no, I've said oh, my number, number three and you said it's on your list. What's so, your number two? M- my number two is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. That's my number two. Ethan, I understand you're upset. I'm not upset. You wanted me to listen. This is me listening. This mission is gonna cost you dearly. The world's going to be coming after you. Hang on! Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. Didn't even make my list. Wowee. Okay, so I'll, I'll take it away with Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part one. I suppose playing into what you were saying earlier on, I went to the cinema and saw this and it was almost three hours long and I did not feel those three hours pass by. I love these series of films, these Mission Impossible series of films. It is capturing the sense of trills and spills and cliffhangery kind of um, adventure that I, uh, I, I I loved seeing in films from when I was young, like James Bond and Indiana Jones and all this sort of stuff. And I think fair play to Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie and all the team. They go out of their way to really try and make the stunts feel amazing, even though some of the CG kind of affected some of my enjoyment of the most spectacular stunt. Um, I would recommend everyone to watch the making of that stunt, which is on YouTube. It's nine minutes long and it is it will take your breath away where Tom Cruise rides off a cliff, which is, you know, it's on the poster. Um, that's amazing how they actually went and pulled that off. I, yeah, okay. I will give it that these films, they don't hold together. And even at the moment, you might be watching some of the exposition scenes and go, what are they fucking talking about? But it kind of doesn't matter because the whole idea of this franchise it is... It does matter. It kind of... Because apart, I have grown to Can I push back on... on, hold, on let me just finish. That. Let me just finish. Yeah, you can, of course. Just let me just finish. It kind of... It kind of... Uh, one of the things about that's been almost baked into these films is the philosophy that we make it up as we go along. And I go, this is them patchworking this entire huge epic film. And I kind of enjoy the patchworky kind of nature of it. I don't want it in every film, but I kind of enjoy that this is how they're actually doing it. And they're just stringing these things together. And it's kind of like a magic act. They just got away with it. Um, I thought it was a great time at the cinema. I was glad to watch it. I thought this was the weakest of the Mission Impossible films since the third one. And the reason for that is that it's half a story and it's a story that is not well told. And I think it is crazy that they spend so much money on these films and they do not work on the script enough. And I know that the, the, the 
set pieces and the stunts and the, the vibe of them is a draw, but they've now moved into a place where the stunts are becoming just as CG as any Marvel thing. But these are not as coherently written as a Marvel story. So it completely fell down for me where I just don't find that I'm watching, I don't find it as entertaining anymore to watch a, a sort of de-aged Tom Cruise perform very heavily CG enhanced stunts that don't feel that impressive. So I was most shocked that this film only had two major set pieces. One of them was the car chase, which was fantastic. The standout of the, the whole film, but the rest of it just felt like, come on, come on, come on. What are we doing here? What's the story? What's this villain? What What's going on? I'm, I'm not tracking it. So I found it a bit of a slog and that was disappointing to me because Ghost Protocol, Fallout and Rogue Nation, they felt a little bit more inventive than this. And I didn't like what happened to Rebecca Ferguson's character in this. And well, I didn't feel anything in this one. Like I felt something in Fallout oh yeah. when Michelle Moynihan came back. I would say that if we did a top 20, it wouldn't even make my top 20. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. So do better, Tom Cruise. Tom and Cruise. lay off the digital de-aging. Just you're, be yourself, man. You're beautiful as you are, old lady. <laughs> yes, you are, Jessica Fletcher. Be yourself. And stop. <laughs> and Chris McQuarrie is a writer and director. And Chris McQuarrie can write. I mean, mm-hmm. he won an Oscar for it, even though I don't like that film either. Usual <laughs> Suspects. But But do better with the script. I shouldn't be so confused that I I cannot follow what's going on and fighting. I won't say anymore because it would be a spoiler, but yeah, not on my top 10. No, it is on mine. It's number two. Uh, What is your number two, Kevin? My number two is Across the Spider-Verse. Okay. And that was my number three. Being Spider-Man is a sacrifice. Can't run forever, kid. Fuck you, pigeon. Kevin is ranting at pigeons at his window. Oh, did you not hear that? Hit the no. window. So this is interesting, right? I've just yeah. sort of dinged Mission Impossible Fallout for being half a story and not well told. Uh-huh. Across the Spider-Verse is also half a story, but it is very well told. Go on. And this was... This was a a film where it was exploding with creativity and ingenious invention in every frame. There was so much going on. It was so busy, so colorful, so, so joyously put together that I just thought I was witnessing the next evolution of what can be done in the realm of animated features. Yeah. And uh, I loved Into the Spider-Verse and this one continue that trend and just added more complexity and more invention. And um, I'm really disappointed that the next one has been pushed back so far mm-hmm. that it's probably going to be five years before we see it. Uh, so all the marketing that said it's coming out in six months, that was all, that was all a fib. You know, I went into it on one of these episodes so you can go back to that one, but I thought it was a, an explosion of, creativity i saw this like uh, a couple of the other films with a bunch of kids but despite that having distraction of kids i thought it was fantastic my only con about it was the fact that the first not con but i felt the story i felt the framework of the story right um the gwen stacy story which 
opens, uh, bookends the story. And I thought they, without the Gwen Stacy aspect of it, it kind of wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have loved it as much, but at least it, I felt satisfied enough with, with that bookend of her, her, her narrative. And it, it was hilarious because after 20 minutes, the film clearly restarts again. So it's almost like the Gwen Stacy side of the story. Do you know what's like funny, Will? Prequel. What? So does Mission Impossible. 20 minutes in, the opening credits starts. Actually, it's half an hour in, isn't it? It's and really Mission long. Impossible. It's the same. But, it, but it, didn't, movies? it didn't start with the same, you know, it didn't restart with a whole new character where it felt like, and oh, now we're starting again. Like like it when we go to Miles Morales' character, it's like, oh, the movie's just started. This is 20 minutes later. Um, but on saying that, listen, I thought it was fantastic. Wonderfully executed. Very, very funny. Just a delight to watch and thankfully I realized I was I was fearful going in because I've said it plenty of times that I have trouble I had trouble with the 3D I watched the first one in 3D and it was jarring to my eyes this was in normal 2D and it was perfect I love the different different types of aesthetics to each world to each universe that they enter and I thought that was beautiful mixed media aspect Mm, thought it was really good so very very powerful what I liked about the ending which, without spoiling it, I, I got a nice little kick from the twist of the ending, which perfectly sets up the problem. It's such a cliffhanger of an ending yeah. that to leave us waiting years and years for this, that is a dereliction of duty, I think. But we got the Gwen Stacy ending. That's the only thing that kind of... Am I going to live long enough to see the, 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 the f- conclusion of the story? Yes, you will. You will. You've got, oh, another, you've got another good 18 months left in you. We, we won't, we'll, well I'm not, not going to see it then I'm not going to see it we're, 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 going, we're not going to tell them to switch off life support that soon okay so that was my number two. Oh wait that was hold on a second now where, oh that was your now it's my number one okay I bet we have the same number oh one. my god if the fucking streams cross if the universes collide my number one is TV and it yes. is Star Trek Picard <laughs> season three is that yours too it is. Yes! Admiral on the bridge. And Captain on the bridge. You will probably find this inspection boring for the likes of you two. Boring? Well, we won't be blowing things up. Taking or engaging in fire. Crash landing, expectedly or unexpectedly. Those were the days. There is something coming. Battle stations. Some kind of attack. And Starfleet could be the target. John Luke, trust no one. Jean Picard. We will have vengeance. You and I have traveled to the far reaches of space. But something's different now. This is the end, my friend. Jordy! Such pathetic old warriors. I too was once irrational, violent. Is anybody you know still the person you knew? The 
This is life or death. It's always life or death. John Luke, when has it not been? With each ticking moment, I will take another piece of you. Battle stations! John Luke! Survival. It's human nature, pal. We fight or we die. I need you. All of you. We're with you. Always. Engage. Well, are you enjoying this? Of course not. Are you? Oh my god. I'm happy to die within the next 18 months because I saw no. Star Trek Picard season three. We did a whole watch along series where you can get our up to the minute reactions to the show as it went along. But for me, Will, the finale of the, the, the final two episodes of that show was such a reward, such a treat. It was everything that I wanted from a show that I grew up watching and loving and returning to and revisiting years and years later and, and starting from the beginning and years and years after that, starting yeah. from the beginning again. And I watched the finale episode three times after. Wow. And I don't do that with TV shows. You know, TV is very much like, it's not like podcasts. I know people listen to our podcasts over and over again, but for TV, people usually just watch an episode once and it's done and they don't mm. really go back to it. It's not that kind of medium. Whereas you, you watch a film over and over again, but there are very few shows that you will, you know, watch a, an episode twice, yeah. for instance. I wish it had a different title. I wish it was like Picard, The Last mm. Generation. So it would feel like what it is, which is this self-contained miniseries type story. Because it's got season three tacked onto it, I think people have just skipped it. You don't need to see them, the previous two seasons. You do not need to watch the previous two seasons at all. It's like the first two seasons don't even exist in this universe. Yeah. yeah. There are very few things that they bring forward. But um, what can I say that we didn't spend 10 hours saying on that miniseries, the, the, the Picard watch-along shows, which you should listen to if you haven't and you are going to watch the show. Nothing, I think, is going to top it for me for the whole year. I can't imagine... Anything's going to give me that that sense of joy and also just elicit so many tears. I cried my eyes out multiple mm. times watching that finale and uh, laughed heavily as well. Fantastic. It's John. Sorry, that was the pigeon again. Oh, lovely pigeon. The, the, it's the only, only bit of media I've consumed this year that has made me laugh and cry in the same moment. And that was like, you know, on the bridge at the end and at like moments with Worf, you know, and. I, uh, much like you, uh, you know, we've, we've said all this on the on our recap. It was it was actually a wonderful experience to kind of to share in a watch along way that we did as well. And we did a finale with uh, we had Dave from the Cinemile came on board as well and joined us. And actually, Chloe was in there for a spell as well. And Jamie, you just forgot about Jamie. Oh, oh my Jamie God. as well. Jamie. Sorry, sorry, Jamie. Was sorry, there as Jamie. Well. But worry, um, I genuinely thought it was so well written I just enjoyed the writing the decisions they made from a macro level but regarding to just all that kind of the major plot decisions I thought it 
I thought it was about there was several times where I felt oh they're going to screw this they're going to screw this up you know in the first half of the of the season and they don't they stayed they made every plot strand work so effectively and nothing there was kind of no fat really if I remember now correctly it felt like it was so lean and efficient and a wonderful wonderful send off to this family of characters that um, I just I have such a fond affection for as well as you do obviously so yeah this is number one for me it felt like such a treat and even the moments where it did stumble a little bit or you could sort of call it up on certain things I think the integrity of everybody involved and the sort of the intention you forgive them those moments where you feel like that's a bit quick that turn or whatever mm. you know in prior episodes where you think there was one episode I remember thinking where I was like Riker would never say that to Picard that's so out of character I don't buy it and then the very next episode they delve really deep into why he would react that way mm-hmm. and I think we had one of the most raw conversations based on mm-hmm. that personal conversations based on that back and forth between Picard and Riker mm-hmm. it, the there have been a lot of Lego sequels for the last few years, but this to me made shit of every other version of that type of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is how you do it, and how you reward people for having affection for these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it was masterfully done. So yeah. I loved it, and I'm sure I'm going to revisit it as much as TNG. I honestly think, and I'm not being, I'm not trying to blow our own horn here. But if you haven't watched it, you should actually go back. Blow on flute. You should go back and watch it. And maybe you could do our listen to our watch long episodes because I think it's quite revealing our reaction as we went along. We were very nervous in the beginning and, and kind of going, no, I kind of think it's actually pretty good. I'm kind of this and you went off it. And I was like, no, I'm actually really enjoying it. And then I kind of went off. I was like, well, I'm a bit unsure about this. But it, to me, at the time, I remember thinking, no, this in the culmination, this is this, they gave us three feature films. A trilogy. Mm-hmm. They actually essentially gave us a trilogy of Picard movies in this one final season. It was everything I wanted. It was everything I wanted. Great villain, great scenes, great writing, great performances. They threw everything at it. It was big, it was expensive, and it was filled with crow-pleasing moments. There you go, Will. Yeah. That was our... 10 favourite film and TV that we've watched so far great that was good I'm looking forward to the next six months of uh, watching amazing stuff see what gets pushed back yeah see what gets released that's the thing <sighs> fuck everything's going to get pushed back yeah it'll be very maybe this is it maybe we can just repost this <laughs> at the end of the year <laughs> it might be it might be well come here this was a pleasure and um, we'll be back soon and while we're away come on over to our Patreon. We're putting out episodes there all the time. This was going to be one of those Patreon episodes, but I thought, look, let's just stick our head up over the parapet and remind people that we exist and we're amazing and um, <laughs> and <laughs> that we're over on Patreon. Uh, what else can we say? The link will be in the show notes to our Patreon. The other thing was, I've gone back and I have remixed the early commentaries to remove the jazz sort of underscore that we had over the first dozen I think Pigeon is back again that'll tell you how stupid those birds are I've hunted them away now twice and they're back again 
none of this is going to be in the episode, so I'll be cutting it. But uh, I've remixed them so that they're clearer to listen to, and you can hear us watching the film. So it's more immediate uh, if you want to go back and revisit those. We were learning how to podcast back then, and uh, there were a few mistakes. We're always learning, Kevin. We're always learning. Yeah. <laughs> oh man okie dokie hope you're enjoying your summer oh I'm recording main shows at the moment so expect those in the autumn yeah okay thanks for listening and hope we hope listen to you soon bye now surely you heard that I heard that one yeah yeah oh god alright see ya bye then. the best bits oh what a I'm the happy stupid one. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Willem. For the films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um, don't forget that you owe us 3 euro. Okay. <laughs> you can't remember really what? <laughs> Oh my god. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best place I can have Van Willem talking deviantly. <laughs> okay, right. I'm gonna find the fucking thing because it's gonna be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it, that'll do. Because <laughs> it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So yeah. I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh the emoji when I've actually listened. <laughs> I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought they hadn't listened to it yet. And then yeah. of course I was delighted with that and people hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it was it was it wasn't easy on the ears in a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice, so there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm, I'm, I'm Hogwood and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. I'm a psycho yeah, That's exactly what you do. So. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. Know, I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God. I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kevin Willem about the telly and the latest film. Talking shite to the dynamic duo. Don't forget now you owe three euro. Come off the stage, old dad. <laughs> That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean or I need to be squat, in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, <laughs> I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about 
Should I start the timer? Is this, have, have we just started? Start the timer because I'm rare okay. to go. I saw Madam Web. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I all I know is I saw a poster. Oh, very recently, it went. There's a Madam Web film, and I'm. What is this? So it's a Spider Verse adjacent. Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider-Man movies. But I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So is this the Tobey Maguire Spider-Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought... I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. Are you it's so lifeless. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvels? Well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel two. It was just sort of like it was another one of those films that felt like Ant Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm-hmm. airless, and you know you just have sound stage after sound stage and. I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films where I feel like yes. there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue to the hairstyles to the costumes to the sets to the music to everything just feels It's artificial, wafer-thin, just wafery, artificially, no sustenance, no satisfaction. You know protein in it whatsoever. You feel like, oh, yeah. wow, I just, I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry. It feels like eating plastic. Okay. On the whole, it's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them. Yet, I found The Flash really fun because it was—it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of the Flash. I just thought, you know, it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went to the Madam Web, not really giving a fuck about the genre, but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it. And the trailer was awful. It had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's, she's shitting out exposition. And I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage. And uh, the film itself, to me, played like a Final Destination action thriller. And I thought it was really pleasant. It didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has. It was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just played it out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire, but they've almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> Oh, I had to listen to it. <laughs> he was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Kathy was pushing back and... I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Catty here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I thought, 
<laughs> but you know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie, so I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I liked Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. Thank you.